I want to make clear is if your true motivation is I don't want to get it because either I'm not going to die. That's a fair scientific point of view. Um, I'm 23. The chances that coronavirus takes me out are basically zero. Fair enough. Um, so be it. If your reasoning is I don't want the government to tell me to do it, my, I will ask why. But if that's actually your reasoning, then I with you there. Um, what I have a problem with, too, is a lot of conservatives were all for the vaccine when it was Trump's vaccine. And then as soon as it turned into Biden's vaccine, it's no longer acceptable. And I hate to break it to you guys. It's Trump's vaccine. Democrats did the inverse. And we railed on them for it. Because they weren't going to take it when it was Trump's vaccine. Biden becomes president and suddenly it's okay. We did the opposite. Hello and welcome to The Joe Mobley Show. I'm your host, Joe Mobley, and you're listening to the only place in cyberspace where we talk about being conservative. We hit on current events, the politically correct cancel culture, and problems with civil discourse. But most importantly, we discuss what you can do to come out of the conservative closet. The Joe Mobley Show is a new and exciting podcast that airs weekly on Monday mornings. We have a range of controversial topics on deck, Even so, it's important that we hear from you what matters most. Be sure to send questions, comments, and things you'd like to hear discussed to ask at thejoemobleyshow.com. That's ask at thejoemobleyshow.com. To make sure you stay informed on the latest content, be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to great podcasts. Welcome back to The Joe Mobley Show. We're glad you decided to take a listen. Today we have a guest who runs a company called Contrarix, a place where modern ideas find modern publishing. Contrarix publishes a podcast by the same name, delivering social and political commentary from the perspective of two young conservatives. Joining us today is one of the hosts of Contrarix, Taylor Eland. Taylor, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Just the same uh, I've, I'm awesome. doing better than you because I didn't have a long day of interviews. This is the first interview of the day <laughs> and the last four. interview. <laughs> yeah, which this is the quintessential first world problem. Podcasting, like talking all day is rough on your voice. Yeah, I know. Spurting off my opinion. It's so horrible. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. If, if you're just chatting for hours, uh, vocal right. mileage is like a legit thing. Um, which is funny. I used to, I, she'll be listening to this, but I used to be like, oh, okay, rolling my eyes. My wife is a classically trained vocalist. So vocal miles okay. are important to her <laughs> and like not talking, saving it for a show or whatever. And now it's like, it's after eight and I'm like, the talking I've done today will affect this conversation. And you've done many times more talking. <laughs> Well, it's not about the same topics, so you know, <clears throat> unless you want to talk about breaking up states, I should be good to go. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, this entire show is the breaking up states edition. Uh, should they all seed fifty individual? I don't even know if you call them states at that point. Um, yeah, but I'm really interested in Contrarix. Uh, I listened to a couple of episodes, and um, I thought there was some cool stuff on your website. Especially, it says uh, here for a dialogue and discovery breaking down barriers between disparate minds. I feel like we should have been friends before because that was my hope with this show. And I've pivoted, uh, not branding, what's the word? Messaging a few times. But the idea that disparate minds could sit down and have a conversation is foreign right now. Right. Uh, Is is that what led you? Tell, Tell us about how you formed your show. Sure. So this isn't my first exploration in the podcast world. It had another similar show, but it was just me. um, And it was more based on philosophy rather than politics um, prior. And, you know, my whole shtick is I'm a conservative who grew up in California, right? So already I'm at like this weird um, disconnect culturally and with what I believe politically. So, you know, growing up, I've been forced to be tolerant, um, just kind of put it simply. And watching, you know, my peers and my fellow countrymen and women uh, basically self-select their tribe online 
has been absolutely heinous to watch. Um, this whole, you know, political landscape that we're in right now has led me to the belief that somebody needs to start having more conversations. And there are a number of people trying to do the same thing I'm doing. Um, but really, there needs to be a proper um, discussion around conservatism because the right has a branding issue, especially right now. Um, and more along those lines, there also needs to be more people on the right saying out loud things like, you keep calling me a Nazi, but I'm not. Um, and there needs to be more people who are forceful. Um, yet, you know, I don't know if respectful is the term, but um, grounded in reality when having conversations. And we need to be open to talk to the other side. Uh, we don't see this on Facebook, Twitter, um, or even, you know, you can blame leftist sources if you want. Reddit is uh, another great place where people seem to self-select. Or you see this on right-leaning sites as well. I mean, they're really no better. There's a different size. Um, sites like Parler come to mind. Uh, minds gab these types of platforms so really what i'm just trying to do is a grow as a conservative i want to be able to challenge my own thoughts because if they're not challenged then they suck and b i also want to you know talk to people and have some nuances not just within you know between the left and the right but also between the right because we don't agree on squat either you know my co-host is more of a traditional uh republican social conservative uh i you know he he follows a the party platform pretty well and i i call myself moderate with libertarian streak but i don't really know what i am at the end of the day i just seem to be if i talk to liberals my conservative comes out if i talk to conservatives my liberal comes out so <laughs> that's what it's about it sounds like you're the the most dangerous <laughs> of them all someone who just thinks freely whatever you want i know what a concept <laughs> that's wild man How dare I? <laughs> that's wild yeah <laughs> If you were in the Matrix, you'd be uh, you'd be in Morpheus's little crew. Um, that's a high bar, but I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you know, I I don't know if this is true or not. I take it as true because Dennis Prager said it, and um, but I haven't fact checked it. Fact fact checked. That's an interesting thing to say. Anyway. Um, he said that California is so large that they actually have more conservatives there than any other state, but it's yes. just, you know, there's just, there just happens to be more liberals. liberals. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is yes. why I never would have thought that I know people that live in California that across the board that I know they're all conservative except for maybe two or three. Um, but I just never thought of that. So in a way, it's just like states are just like the country. You look at the those colorful maps and it's like, it seems like there's a little blue, but that little blue represents huge population centers. I live in Northern Virginia. It's the same thing. I tell people that Virginia is a purple state because it is. Even with the, you got Alexandria, Arlington, like that Northern Virginia is like our version of LA or whatever. Um yeah, but we're still, we're closer. Our, our races are still coming up, you know, 51, 54%, not whatever you guys got out there. <laughs> yeah, uh, prior to Trump, we were about 60, 40. Um, yeah. The last one was 70, 30, but I don't think that was a Republican issue. I think that was a Trump issue. Yeah, see, and I never would have guessed. I'm actually from Long Island. I never would have guessed that California was even 60, 40. Uh, yeah, you, but yeah, the more you know, I well, guess. Well, sixty forty doesn't matter if you're if you're on the losing side of forty. I mean, that's still a massive no. gap in a state with thirty something million people. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, so that brings me to the first question: Do you think conservatives are in the closet? You know, and and why or why not? Um, I th I think I mean yes and no. It depends, which is a classic lawyer answer. I think there are more conservatives, especially um, younger conservatives, doing a better job of being outspoken because we've kind of been bullied, for lack of a better term, our entire life. But I also do think that there is a serious case of the fact that, you know, coming out as conservative can be more dangerous than coming out as gay, which is an interesting concept. Um, and I feel comfortable saying that because I know people who are gay and they tell me in private they're conservative, but they would never say they never, never come out as one, which is mind-blowing you know you have the courage to come out and buck um thousands of years of human tradition with sexuality but you're not willing to you know 
say what you believe politically. That says a lot about the culture we're currently in. And so I think in many regards, yes. And I think in blue centers, like you're not going to see a ton of conservatives speaking out in LA. So I think where there where conservatives feel outnumbered, they're most certainly in the closet. Um, I think online conservatives are more likely to be in the closet. Uh, but you know, in the day to day, I encounter conservatives all the time, and you know, in private or even in confidence of smaller groups, they don't seem to be as in the closet. Maybe it's just because I don't know. We have like it's like gaydar, but for conservatives, we maybe just have <laughs> conservative dar, um, and we can kind of tell when somebody right. Like right now, you can almost tell with masks, which is just kind of crazy to me from a health standpoint but you know if someone's not wearing a mask the chance that they're conservative is significantly higher than not which is weird but yeah so i don't know i feel like in some regards we are but in some regards we most certainly are not yeah i i agree with the closet thing and i i've gone back and forth um about saying this i just moved this microphone now it sounds weird to me anyway (laughs) um yeah, one of the bylines for the show is coming out of the conservative closet. And my experience has been the same. I, I know gay conservatives that are definitely out of the closet. And, and it's not even, um, it's not super scary. It's definitely, I, if I don't say celebrated, I'll say at least socially supported to come out as any of the old come out issues. Um, right. To include new come out issues. I, I think transgenderism uh, is it new, but it's certainly grown in popularity. Um, the, the Overton window has really opened up on that and a whole bunch of other things. But now I think the conservatives that are in the closet, they're like deep in, they're deathly afraid. And to your point, I even know, I know a couple of gay conservatives or even gay liberals who are afraid to come out in support of one or two, what are being called conservative viewpoints um so like i certainly i know gay liberals that are for personal protection personal firearm ownership whatever the firearm is at home in your car carrying it on your person and they will never admit that publicly they'll never admit that they even themselves carry a firearm (laughs) um which is just interesting uh yeah, the right to protect social. yourself should not be a political issue, and yet here we are. Yeah, yeah, and it it causes this group think nonsense causes a lot of strife. And one of the, I'll, I'll put this, I'll put myself out as the example. I often ask people, if you're truly open minded, tell me about a time where you changed your mind of on something of substance. And even better, if you can tell me about something where you used to believe the party line, whichever party, and you actually changed, you didn't change your whole political ideology, you just changed stances. Uh, And I I had a pretty good one that recently changed uh, my opinion on no-knock warrants. As someone who's been in the military, who's been in law enforcement, I was definitely pro no-knock warrants, the security of the officers and the people around, blah, blah, blah. And I changed on the dime to know private citizens don't have a duty to create a safer work environment for someone who's chosen an inherently dangerous job. Um, And that was brought about by the, um, I just forgot her first name. Is it Brianna Taylor? Brianna Taylor. Yeah. That was when, uh, that was when I was last challenged and presented with some decent talking points i guess uh but the people that were talking to me they they failed i i was listening i was basically just kind of talking to myself and kind of going over the position uh and it hit me it was something oh it was uh some one of the states was proposing some crazy thing where they were gonna hold you criminally liable if someone was having a crime committed against them and not only did you not call the police but all you had to help out you know, you had to help them fight off their attacker. And I was like, this is nuts. Uh, and that got me thinking about no knock warrants and blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. yeah you, but, you don't have a duty to help your fellow American, believe it or not. Um, and this has been long entrenched in our legal system um, for hundreds of years. 
it's a very American idea to say, like, if I see someone suffering, I don't have an obligation to do something. And that sounds terrible um, on first pass. But in the same token, you know, the, a huge reason for this is that who determines what's worth getting involved in? You know what I mean? A crime to you. I mean, there are the obvious examples, murder, rape, burglary, whatever. But, like, if the government says, if you don't help somebody who, uh, well, I mean, who's, you know, being r roughed up by the police, that's illegal. It's like, well, you don't know why they're being roughed up, if they're even being roughed up at all. So it's hard because. Yeah. It's a house know, of it, cards. It, it is. And there's a, there's a phrase in law, um, bad facts make bad law. You know, when you deal with the most egregious examples and make law out of them, you end up causing unintended consequences not that far down the road um, with facts that have been much more gray and the, the answer is no longer clear. So it, it's a good insight you have there. Um, I also kind of want to, you know, touch on, you were saying that you kind of convinced yourself. Uh, people need to tune into that more often. You know what I mean? If you hear yourself asking a question in the back of your head, uh, think about that for a second. Don't think, oh, this goes against my conservative or liberal beliefs. Like actually listen to that line of questioning because there's a reason there's the, there's the phrase, you're your own worst critic. Um, chances are that critic in your head is onto something. So you should flesh it out. And even if you don't change minds, you'll have a better position. Oh, yeah. I, I realized um, my position was actually just based off of my own sense of self-preservation. If I am going to a, you know, a, a drug layer or whatever, if I'm on the stack getting ready to, uh, especially do a no-knock warrant, getting ready to just bust into this house, you know, surprise, I want yeah, you're gonna be to, I want to come out okay. Right. <laughs> but that Shocking. doesn't, that doesn't well, mean, I mean that everyone else you, has to bend to me. Do you still think that there's no situation where a no-knock warrant would be appropriate? Because I, I, I don't want you dying in a drug uh, raid, per se. I yeah, I think that's appropriate. I, I've changed, and uh, so my law enforcement buddies, I actually haven't said this publicly, so I, I might be getting some phone calls or uh, getting unfriended whatever that means. Um, yes, exigent circumstance, I still believe that that's fine. And in most places for exigent, exigent circumstance, you have to announce. So, you know, you're walking by the house, there's screams, gunshots, you see blood splatter across the, the blinds, you can go into that home, um, obviously without knocking, but you're supposed to announce. Uh, which is interesting because as a private citizen now, I would still go into the home. I don't have to knock and I don't have to announce. And if anything happens to me, it, it's, you know, it is what it is. It, it comes down to the totality of the circumstance. Um, but I think there's a landed, lot of legal terms there that I know the listeners are like, they don't know what that means. But oh, yeah, yeah. He, you are a well-researched <laughs> cop, so, so good for you. So totality of the circumstance is... Um, if you look at Supreme Court cases and they, they talk about use of force and how, and actually this is relevant because qualified immunity is on the table right now. And, and it is many, on the table right now. Uh, yeah, in many circles. Um, and the linchpin is a, a justified use of force. When you hear the reasonable person standard, you hear, did someone act reasonably with the information that they had at the time? And the Supreme Court gives it this test. Was the was the situation complex, uncertain, and rapidly evolving. Right now, I'm sitting in my room. Someone could kick open my door. Boom. I see the person. Uh, so the situation is uncertain. Uh, it's complex. If they don't belong in this house, why are you here? Um, if they pull out a pistol, then we've rapidly evolved. Or if they pull out, say, a grenade or something like that. So... All of those elements, those three elements combine to create the totality of uh, the circumstance. So exigent circumstance is when that totality lands on the craps probably hit the fan. I heard the gunshot, the screaming. I see visible signs that a violent crime has taken place. Uh, right. Yeah. So I you should I be an attorney. You should go to law school. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought about it and I, I had actually applied to the... Uh, uh, Sandra Day O'Connor School in Arizona, but I dropped it for, um, I ended up getting my master's in Homeland Security at GW. Uh, law interests me. I don't think that 
law is for lawyers or philosophy is for philosophers. I think it's all very approachable. And it's the appeals to authority bullcrap that goes on. It's going on right now with doctors. You can't understand cell imbalances or basic biology. You're not a doctor. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's a frustrating one. But I think we're going to get to that in a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But right now as it stands on, I don't know when this will air, but it is, what is it? It is April 3rd. On Saturday, April 3rd, I feel that exigent circumstance is the only appropriate time for a no-knock entry or or even a an announceless entry. Um, and that's not to talk about, because I can, I can hear you guys, my friends, I can hear you already. I'm not talking about intelligence gathering. Yes, you can do sneak peeks. You're not supposed, the rules of engagement in a, you know, and a sneak peek are totally different. You're not supposed to be running into anyone. You're supposed to verify there's no one in any property that you're going to bug up or whatever. So please crawl back into your Twitter hole. I don't want to hear about that later. Uh, oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> well, so it begs the question, and you're suggest well, what I hear is that you're sort of suggesting that Breonna Taylor wasn't an exigent circumstance. Am I correct in that guess? Um, no, I, they, what, what they did, what they did under that totality of circumstances, um, with the information that I have, I watch uh, donut operators, YouTube channel. He, he's a old law enforcement guy. He, he does really good law enforcement breakdowns. Um, it's a tricky one. It comes down to those firearm fundamentals. Be sure of your target and what's beyond it. Um, at the end of the day, again, I'm in. I'm at the. What am I? I am in the northeast corner of my home, uh, the furthermost northeast corner. So if I start receiving gunshots from this way. Uh, even though my children are over there and my wife, the whole house is over there that way, um, I'd have to take this rifle behind me and and go to work that way. Uh, and yeah, someone, you know, my wife could get shot um, if she were sitting on the couch, which is what happened uh, to Brianna Taylor. It would suck, but it's what's necessary to stop that, that, you know, those Intruder. rounds coming yeah. this way. Um, so are we talking about the fact that she got shot or the uh, the, the way in which they made But no, not in itself, yeah. Yeah. Um, what did he do? He was just like a drug dealer? Was it a drug warrant? So. Man, the, it's hard to give a simple answer here because I believe that the drug war is a massive failure. Um <laughs> I don't believe that the drug war, I'm aware, I'm acutely aware of the damage that drugs do and all of the ancillary crimes that come off of it. Um, I don't think they're, they're, no, I don't think there should be issuing warrants. I think the drug war needs to be shut down. Just personal opinion. I think, I think it's a fair question to ask too. Like, you know, the drug, the drug war, I think it depends on the drug, right? Um, Doing a full deadly raid on a marijuana grow operation is, that to me seems silly. Absurd. Yeah. I agree. Um, in the same token, you know, when you're dealing with a, a, a band of cocaine smugglers based out of Colombia, that they can get a lot hairier a lot faster. So, I, yeah, I think it definitely isn't as simple as, you know, I think your point is valid. It's not, it's not simple as all drugs are bad. Um, and it's certainly a valid question to ask, you know, are we doing more damage than good depending on the, on the raid? Um, I always have a hard time because I can always hear, you know, military or uh, cop friends in my head saying, yeah, but what about the group that kills a six-year-old in the drive-by? And just kind of like, oh, okay, fair enough. Um, But is that really a byproduct of the drugs or is that a byproduct of the culture of which the drug war has created? And I think that is a fair question. I'm going to take a cop out here. In that particular circumstance, um, Oh, gosh, what is his name? The suspect was firing, period. 
Yeah, right. What are the cops supposed to do? Not shoot back? Yeah, lives lives are at risk, not just the police officers, but also the people around. And I know it was an apartment complex, and I know yep. that round officer rounds could potentially go into the apartment behind them. Uh, but here's the thing, and I always use the gas station analogy for people. Uh, it's inherently dangerous to fire a firearm at a gas station because it's a gas station. Um, if I'm pumping gas and someone pulls up and they get out of the car uh, and create an active shooter situation, 100% I'm going to fire my firearm because that person is firing theirs regardless. If I say, this is a dangerous situation to fire a firearm, that changes none of the math. Firearms are being fired in this place, whether I use mine or not. Uh, people are being killed or have the potential to be killed. Uh because of what's going on. So at that point, there are a lot of people out there. I've Some of my relatives are like, they should have gotten in the car and, and left. That's absurd. If you can't right. shoot someone who is actively shooting at you, then you can't shoot anyone. And it sucks that Breonna Taylor died. But the whole dialogue would be different if Breonna Taylor were walking outside and got shot by her boyfriend. Uh, they'd still blame that on the cops. If Breonna Taylor was some random person walking outside who got shot, uh, right. then the whole math is different, uh, which means that there's a flaw in the logic if if that type of thing changes everything. Uh, uh, I think you're correct. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know how we got on that. It was the legal terms. I need to stop using legal terms. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so uh, guns aren't good or bad, everyone. People are good and bad. Guns are usually plastic and metal. Uh, that's it. Just like this desk, plastic and metal. <laughs> right. Um, so we met on Locals. Uh, and guys, if you don't know about Locals, then one, you don't watch my YouTube videos because I plug it every uh, at the end of every video. But I think it's the internet done right. It's uh, Dave Rubin's team's social media platform. Uh, which apparently is going to be getting better because they just had uh, announced some uh, new, not donor, what's the word? They have new uh, venture capital, I believe. Yeah, there we go. I'm saying donor makes it sound like nonprofit investors. There we go. There you go. Yeah, so they, they had a big win on the VC front. And uh, yeah, I looked up one of the guys that announced, and he's, he's uh, I think, a billionaire, so <laughs> it should be a good amount of money. But anyway, Locals, it's Locals.com, and it uh, it sounds like a creepy dating site. I promise it's not. It's a social media platform. I know. How did they come up with that name? It's just kind of like, of all the names you kind of came up with, you made it sound like a dating site. <laughs> I My hypothesis, I've thought this too. My hypothesis is Dave and his gang, they're sitting in their living room or whatever, and he's like, I just want it to feel like a sense of community. And they branched out from community and got to Locals. And it probably sounded like a really awesome idea. Um, but Locals.com sounds like a dating site for sure. It does. Uh, yeah. So one of my podcast sites is, uh, I think it's called Matchmaker. <laughs> and it's yes. like, yeah. Also, as a total, it sounds like a dating website. Every time I say, oh, I met this person on Matchmaker. Oh, I shouldn't say that out loud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I always have it up. And my wife, like, I remember the first time she sees it, she's like, what the heck is Matchmaker? It's matchmaker.fm, not .com. I don't go to matchmaker.com. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, so, locals, it's the internet done right. Uh, you can get in touch with either of us there. Mine is the jomobleshow.locals.com, and I'm guessing yours is contrarix.locals.com. I'd have to double check, but that sounds right. Yeah. If it's not, then you can definitely find him at contrarix.com, uh, yep. which it sounds, it's spelled just like it sounds contrarix. C O N T R A R I X. There you go. And it'll be in the show notes. Um, but we met there because I posted something and the conversation got a little sporadic, I'll say, about it. Um, but I, I'm a disabled vet. I, I was in the Army uh, for 11 years, uh, a little less than half National Guard and six years or so active. And uh, yeah, but now, now that I'm dealing with DAV, I've got you know, they send me these messages and stuff and uh, they're really pushing the vaccine. And I've, I responded via email and via uh, snail mail. And then the third 
shot was via text and I was just like, Hey, you know, I, I don't want to get it. I'm, you know, I feel young I feel healthy. I feel fine. Um, this isn't something that's required by law at this point. So thanks, but no thanks. Um, but I posted it on locals and there, there were a lot of interesting comments. Uh, and we well, talked about kind of like scattershot. Um, yeah. So I, I just wanted to give you a chance to bring some of that in because right. there were, there were so many people saying so many things. Right. And perhaps I should, I, if I can find it quickly, but you, um, the vaccine is something that I actually break from most conservatives on, um, to be frank, because conservatives are doing this weird thing. Uh, they're, uh, well, I don't think it's conservatives. Anti-vaxxers are doing this thing where they're co-opting conservatives to hide behind their banner. And yes. what's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that, that is what it is. And, but the thing is, is like um, there is, I take issue. Your post has something to do with um, a highly experimental vaccine. I take issue with that because it's not as highly, it's not highly experimental. The, the, what's, what was new about it, what's new about the COVID vaccine. Um, well, a it's COVID fine. That's new. But what was new about the technology per se. And the only reason why this is miscommunicated is because scientists are the worst spokespeople on the planet. Um, oh yeah. The only yeah. other people in the running are attorneys. You know what I mean? Like they, they can't, say things clearly and they can't dumb things down because they have a superiority complex. I know this. I studied biology for four years. Um, the people who were there, they didn't want to sound smart. So what happened with the COVID vaccine, with the mRNA technology is that that mRNA stuff as a medicine has existed in some form for since the seventies. What was new about it, um, is that we figured out how to produce it, uh, in at scale, right? That was always the hard part. So you have a whole bunch of people who are conflating the experimental vaccine when really what's going on is that they just figured out how to make more of it in an economical way. So anti-vaxxers who don't understand science, and there's a myriad of reasons why, and you, know, you can't really convince them, have decided that they're going to wage war on the vaccine. And unfortunately, they've, they've converted a lot of well-meaning conservatives to their side. So... To people who say, and it sounds like you're along this line of thinking, I do not want to get the vaccine because I am young, healthy, and unlikely to die from the virus. I have no issues with that. Um, and that's fair. But, you know, I still have the right to prod further. And if I prod further and I say, well, you know, why? And the answer ends up being some version of I don't understand it, then you kind of lost, you know, you kind of don't have anything to say then. Um so what was going on in that thread, and I, what I think I want to make clear, because I'm sure some of those people are going to want to listen to this conversation to see how this turns out, because it seems spi it was spicier than what this is going to allude to, what our conversation is going to allude to. Uh, I, I, and in all fairness, I think people in there were a little more angry. I, I think we're in, we're at least on the same page, and I know that the other people right. in the post were not. Right. Right. Uh, so what I want to make clear is if your true motivation is I don't want to get it because either I'm not going to die. That's a fair scientific point of view. Um, I'm 23. The chances that coronavirus takes me out are basically zero. Fair enough. Um, so be it. If your reasoning is I don't want the government to tell me to do it, my, I will ask why. But if that's actually your reasoning, then I with you there. Um, what I have a problem with, too, is a lot of conservatives were all for the vaccine when it was Trump's vaccine. And then as soon as it turned into Biden's vaccine, it's no longer acceptable. And I hate to break it to you guys. It's Trump's vaccine. Democrats did the inverse. And we railed on them for it. Because they weren't going to take it when it was Trump's vaccine. Biden becomes president and suddenly it's okay. We did the opposite. Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't, this is audio only, so people can't see. I'm shaking my head. He's absolutely right. We, we've done exactly what I, I as a conservative, yep, very conservative. Yeah, I agree. It's nuts. It is <laughs> Trump's vaccine. It's Trump's vaccine. And uh, let me tell and you we this, did. too. We railed against the liberals for doing exactly what you said. And now 
we're doing exactly what we railed against. Right. And, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm not convinced we're doing it. I'm sure there are conservatives that are doing it. But I really think what's going on is anti-vaxxers have always kind of hidden around the libertarian banner because, you know, they always – they do this thing. And the left does this too. They just do it with different terminology. But they'll say something along the lines of, I have the right to think what I want and you don't have the right to basically intervene. And it's like, well, you're not wrong, but you're insinuating I don't have the right to challenge you. And that's not true. You know what I mean? But they've tried to co-opt this line of argument to where they can just diffuse an entire conversation. And look, I'm a conservative. If you're able to get the vaccine, I think you should. Not because the government told you to. That actually kind of makes my job a little harder because I don't want the government to tell you to do stuff. I don't believe in vaccine passports. That's kind of stupid. And frankly, I don't think it'll pass on First Amendment grounds, but whatever. Um, however, what we can't do is this weird twist of logic that you know, and the left does this too when they do it with race or they do it with um, speech. Um, they do it with tolerance, actually, is the term they'll use the most. If you're just trying to shut down the conversation, you have to keep in mind that not only do you have the right to just kind of like live your life, but that doesn't free you from the consequences of living your life. If I'm going to annoy you on a social media platform, you kind of have to deal with it, right, by your own logic. So what really kind of, I think where I started to lose myself in that particular thread was that line of reasoning because it insinuates that you have nowhere to go with this conversation. And what people don't realize uh, is that when you're having these discussions, especially any form of debate at all, you're not really talking to the person you're debating, if that makes sense. What you, who you're really talking is everybody watching, right? Because if you and I disagree on something, um, the chances that you're going to change my mind are slim. Yeah, you, you never change the mind of the debater. It's for the audience. Right. And we often get too lost in that. We often are trying to convince the person that we're talking to. And that's not what's going on. Now, if the person that you're talking to is going to basically say, this is the end of the conversation, I'm checking out, um, as if, you know, to, to use the terminology on purpose, to play the trump card, you're not having an honest conversation. And if you don't want to have an honest conversation, that's fine. But admit that you're playing the same tactics as, you know, the left or the liberals or however you want to terminize it. And then acknowledge that you're no better than them. Because you're employing the exact same logic. It's just dressed in conservative talking points as opposed to liberal ones. Yeah, I agree. Um, it being illogical is uh, it's it's not just relegated for one political ideology. You know, I try not to just say at least to people's faces, "Hey, you're being stupid. Uh, this is nonsense." As in, it doesn't make sense. Your logic train has derailed. Um, but people left, right, and center do it. Um, and if you really want to open your mind, guys, there are more than two political ideologies. There's actually other political ideologies that aren't just liberal and conservative. So, right. and, and here's another thought. Conservatives don't have to agree with one another. Um, and, I, you know, I yeah. think at the end of the day, you're like, you put me in a room with a bunch of conservatives, I will often seem like the most liberal person in a room just because it's one of the things like, I don't see why you, you know, you're following this logic. I, I take another issue, and this is a conservative issue. This isn't an anti-vaxxer hiding as conservative thing. Conservatives correctly have railed against Democrats for certain anti-science positions. As the Democrats claim to be the party of science, the party of reason, and there are numerous instances where they're clearly not the party of science. Conservatives were given like on a silver platter. No, better, a gold-plated Trump pl pat, uh, platter. They were given this opportunity to be the party of science. They were the party of science in regards to abortion. They were the party of science in regards to transgenderism. They're the party of science when it comes to freaking guns, for crying out loud, and you wouldn't even think science comes into play there, but it does. With the vaccine, with COVID, in many instances, they were the party of science. Young people, you ain't gonna die, you know? And... Yes, the media put up every single young person who died as a pariah. Uh, the odds ended up being like one in a thousand or one in a million or something, something outrageous. So one in a thousand would be high. So, yeah, something stupid. Um, you're not going to die, right? And we're going to stay open. There's more at stake here than just coronavirus. There's economics. There's families. There's abuse. There's mental health. Party of science stuff. And then with the vaccine, they, like, did this complete 180. And they did such a 180, and it was so anti-scientific. And it was anti-scientific not because they weren't trying to use logic, 
but because they misused it or they didn't know what they were talking about oftentimes. And, this, and it's not to say that you have to be a biologist or you have to be a doctor to understand biology. Um, I, I think that sort of mentality is also stupid. But just because you have an opinion doesn't also mean it's formulated. And if you don't have a formulated opinion, especially about something as complex as a vaccination, maybe let someone else do the talking. But they didn't do that. So now we have a whole bunch of people, especially from the QAnon side of things, who have completely derailed the entire party. They have managed to derail an entire party and change the messaging of an entire side in a way that is very anti-scientific that has provided now the other side the option to say, see, they're crazy loons. They're anti-science. We're the party of science. And it's kind of like, I can't argue against that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think just like I, all, with me, all conversations go back to Dave Ramsey. Just like you shouldn't invest in something you don't <laughs> understand. Um, there's a, there's a lot of reason not to take something and just something, do some type of diet, whatever that you don't understand. Um, so I'm just a person who likes to research. Um, and I'm going to use this to pivot to emergency management. Um, sure. I get, I, the older I get, the less kind of faith and fidelity fidelity I have in certain medications. And I know that that's just a totally personal opinion. Um, do I take medicine? Yeah, I have a bad back. It's flared up right now for because I, I drove to and from Charlotte. So guess what? I'm taking powerful medicine that was prescribed by a doctor. You know, guilty. There's probably two or three people that are going to unfollow the show like, oh, poison in your body or whatever. Um, you know, my without giving away super particular medical information, my kids have been vaccinated less and less. Uh, so one, one of them received, you know, so many vaccinations and then less and less. And we're pregnant now. And uh, that child will probably receive even less. Uh, and that's okay. No, our, our children aren't typhoid Mary and we're not going to cause the second coming or something um, with our private decisions or whatever. I think that people are throwing out terms and they're like, it's not a vaccine, it's a gene therapy. That means it's evil. Well, then the question is, what is gene therapy? Have you Googled mRNA? Um, are you against chemotherapy? You know, my, my dad had lung cancer. Uh, I was for chemotherapy when he was going through it. Um, if my parents want to get the vaccine, great. If they don't want to get the vaccine, great. When COVID kicked off, we went through all of the phases. You know, we were wiping down our groceries. I was really concerned for my parents to go You're out. You're all in. You're being safe. I wasn't all in, but I was... I'm, this is a big question mark. And people have to understand it is tough. I don't care if the president was Trump or Biden or George Washington. Policy making is hard. Emergency policy making is Harder. incredibly <laughs> difficult because yes. we're not talking about, and every, all of the concerns are blown up to the massive scale. You know, we're, we're talking about, hundreds of thousands or millions of deaths. We're talking about all kinds of crazy stuff. So in the beginning, you don't know what you don't know. And when your butt's in the hot seat and you have to make these decisions, everything is different. Everyone's jumping on Christy Gnome's back about, you know, basically line item vetoing uh, her transgender bill. But, you know, no one that I saw on the internet, uh, speaking of conservatives who were against it, read the bill had an argument with the size of the bill and we're always complaining, you know, the bill's supposed to do one thing. Why is it 97 pages or whatever? Um, so intellectual dishonesty goes a long way. Um, yeah, but where I landed on the vaccine was like you said, I, I feel like it makes sense to me, but what does it make sense to me? And I was curious what your take is, um, is the, the emergency response of all of this stuff. Um, and like you said, one out of a thousand is a lot. And I don't know that everyone realizes that. Yeah, one out of a thousand statistically is very significant. Um, one in every hundred thousand or even less is not statistically significant, as, as the numbers would suggest. But, like, I don't know where you're at. 
with the COVID response, with the, sure. with not just masks, but lockdowns and the capacity rules, 12.5% capacity here, 25, 40, 50% here, there, whatever. Um, right. I don't think that the numbers are there. And I don't think that they had been at any point because at one point, both the CDC and who were predicting just about the numbers that we had between 250,000 and 400,000 deaths in the United States, population of 330 million. Sounds really bad, but that's par for the course. That's deaths right. in a year in the United States, period. Uh, because people die. I don't know if you guys know this. People are born every day. People die every day. Um, so you, ta- you brought up the First Amendment passport, uh, the vaccine passports. I think you're right. Um, but I'm, what concerns me is that society has gone along with the response thus far. So it was to say that, you know, Fauci's already said, you know, there's variants and things will get worse. And, you know, what's to say that the government can't just say that there's a perpetual threat out there and threats are constantly changing. So, Everyone has to do what we say all the time, right? Um, that's a lo- that's a big question that I could talk about hours on. But before I like kind of give overall thoughts, you mentioned something about gene therapy. If you're a conservative calling the vaccine gene therapy, please stop. That's just my personal PSA. I, I stop. You don't know what you're talking about. It's okay. Acknowledge that. Move on from the conversation. It's not gene therapy. Um, but to answer your question, here's where I'm at with. Here's where I'm at today with the virus. Um, A, a significant portion of the the population is vaccinated. In fact, our numbers compared to the rest of the world are unreal. Unreal. Uh, And that's a good thing. Uh, Our, the access that we have to vaccinations compared to the rest of the world is unreal. And we're a year in. Uh, most of the people who have been vaccinated are 65 or older. And the people that I see make the most noise about potentially dying from the vaccine are my age. So these form the basis of where I'm at today. The lockdowns need to stop. If you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. I'm I'm past the point of fighting about it. Um, Frankly, at first, it was funny because at first when this whole thing started, everybody was um, doing these cloth masks. And my instant reaction was just kind of like, that's dumb. Cloth masks are like cloth condoms. They work until they don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it, it's just it's what it is. And like and I always said from the beginning, look, in a perfect world, if everybody is using the surgical mask or an N95 and they're changing it, Every time they put it off and on, I'm alluding to something here, um, then sure, you know, we probably would have stopped the virus. Uh, From the outset, that was a very scientific thought. It was anti-human. You are completely disregarding human nature. From the very beginning, I've been, people are going to be wearing the same paper mask they hang on their car rearview mirror for months on end. And I'm not going to have you say whether or not you've done that, but I'll tell you, I've done that. I've worn the same paper mask. Probably longer than I should have, because it wasn't really about safety. It was about compliance. And if I was doing it, chances are other people were doing it. In fact, chances aren't a lot of people were doing it, which defeated the whole purpose. So from the very beginning. I, I'm not going to lie. I, I wore a, uh, a sheer mask that's like see-through. Uh, I was one of those guys. Super, super crunchy. <laughs> uh, and And I... I tried to wear it as little as I could, and now, um, not because I'm conservative, just because it's, it's like oh, I'm an adult. Like, like, what are we doing? <laughs> like, I don't have a curfew. I don't have, you know, no one's telling me to eat my vegetables because it's good for me. I know what's good for me. I know what's bad for me. If I wanted to be an alcoholic, I could be an alcoholic. Uh, right. And yeah. Anyway, so. It's, and we're I a country hate... of individuals too. Like we were based on, we were, we're a country that's founded on individual responsibility. Look, um, I'm not saying I went it out to restaurants. It doesn't need to be anti-mask, anti-this. It has to be. Uh, I'm an individual, right? 
you were saying exactly. restaurants. Um, right. So I'm not saying I went to restaurants, but if I did go to restaurants, um, I I took res- I would have taken responsibility for my actions. If that makes any sense. In other words, I knew the risks. If I were to go to a restaurant, I knew the risks, right? Because obviously there's a virus going around. Um, and presumably, so did everybody else in the restaurant. So who are we hurting here? If That's you're afraid what cracks of- me up when someone's so mad <laughs> if you're not wearing a mask and they come and get in your face. It's like, if you think I can kill you, you wouldn't come and shout at me. It doesn't make sense. Just like if I were holding a shotgun pointed at your face, you wouldn't be shouting at me. You'd be crapping your pants. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I'm on Reddit a lot more than I should be. And I always see um, liberals get mad. Like, they're killing other people in my local part of the world. There's a, a part of my city that uh, is a little bit more open than they're allowed to be. And... They always say, well, you know, don't go there. You're going to catch COVID. And it's kind of like everybody who's there knows exactly what they're doing. Everybody who's there knows the risks. What's really funny is everybody who's there is old. You don't see very many people. My, like, these are the people who are actually like more likely to die. They've just lived through more conflict than our soft butts um, who are 20 something. So they understand that this is A, not the worst thing that's come and B, not the worst is going to happen. You know, these are people who have seen Vietnam, who have seen Iraq, who have seen all these different places that are that are actual conflict. And to them, it's more this is not as deadly as some of those things. And, you know, even even if they're wrong, it's still their risk to take. And that's what people don't understand about the conversation. I am not at a place where I think that we should be continuing lockdowns. The whole variant conversation is interesting. Um, There's there's truth to it. But in the same token, there are variants of the flu every year. Um, and I know you're not allowed to compare the two, even though they're both coronaviruses. Um, there are variants of the flu every year. Uh, there are variants of all sorts of viruses that we deal with on a daily basis. And if you want to spend the rest of your life in fear of germs, that's your prerogative. Uh, I don't believe in that. And I don't think we should believe in it. I will caveat that, though, with this. I take much less issue with states being overhanded than I do with the federal government being overhanded. So, for example, um, I don't know if it's constitutional. My co-host brought up something about the privilege and immunities clause for New York's vaccine passport. However, I don't have as much of a big of a deal with a liberal state like New York or California implementing vaccine passports. That's my job as a California citizen to fight that in California. But frankly, you're not here. Why do you care? Right? And... There is always that argument, if you don't like it, leave. I think it's weak, but you can do that. Um, the federal government's a little different of a ballgame. There are different rules. It's called the Constitution. Um, it's harder to leave. <laughs> Try moving out of the country. It's not easy. Not all countries want you. Everybody says they're going to go to Canada. Canada has stricter immigration policies than we do. Oh, it takes a long time to become a citizen in Canada. Yep, it if does. And it's not easy. Yeah. Right? So... When a state does it, I take less issue with it, and that's on that's on the people of the state to fight back. I don't think it needs to be a national issue, but when the national when the feds do it, I will be much more vocal about my uh, intolerance of the policy, for lack of a better term. Does that answer your question? Kind of, sort of. No, you did. Yeah, uh, despite the fact that I kept interrupting you. <laughs> oh, you're fine. It's part of conversation. It's dialogue. You know, I think. Um, I forget your co-host's name. Um, Kyle. I was going to say, yeah, okay. Uh, I don't know what name I had in my head. Um, I I think that I beat this drum so much. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, they have um, some free online, like I'd say classes, but they're not. They're like, like, well, okay, I guess they're like recorded lectures. So yeah, classes. He's got uh, Constitution 101. They've got the Federalist. Um, and in the introduction to both of those, Larry Arn is talking about means and interest with uh, the federal government and with the, the constitutional Republican form of government, with the, the judiciary, the legislature, and the, uh, the other one, executive. <laughs> and uh, You got there. He's like, you know, means and interest. They have the means, they have the ability to check each other, but they don't have the interest. And when they lose interest in, you know, when they're so much commingling, they've lost interest, then they're just going to let each other do whatever. 
Um, so many terrible laws should have been shot down through judicial review. That's the point of judicial review. It's fine for a legislature to get together and come up with a policy that sounds great. A lot of legislatures are not lawyers. They don't, they're not, they don't need to be legal experts. It's fine for governors and presidents to say, hey, I think that this is a, a great idea. But the judiciary has to come in and check that before it ever gets off the ground and say, hey, this is unconstitutional state constitution, state code, United States code or United States federal constitution, um, because it's their job. If I'm the legislator, it's not my job to necessarily find the flaws in my own idea. That would be stupid. It'd be great if everyone could regulate that way. Uh, but to put the onus on me to, to find why my great ideas are not so great would obviously be dumb. Um, so I think that the vac to bring this to a vaccine passport, um, I think that it's definitely a Fourth Amendment violation, right to be secure in your own persons uh, and property. Um, which is why people say it as like a bumper sticker. That's why the show me your papers from, you know, Nazi Germany has that ick factor uh, because you're supposed to be able to keep things private. Um, I've got a bunch of medical conditions that are private my, that my spouse knows about, my doctor knows about, and whoever else that I've told. Um, and that's what, you know, HIPAA is about. That's what Everyone thinks Fourth Amendment is you need a warrant to search my house. It's like, no, that, it's also furnishing documents. It's also being made to basically tell secrets about yourself. You know, just like if the government had a passport where it had the person who you had your first time with and you had to just furnish it at any time, you know, and, and it had a little story about how it went, you know, it wouldn't be... Probably wouldn't be great for a lot of people, uh, but the, no. thing, the, reason that, <laughs> the reason that they can't do that is because of the Fourth Amendment, and then all the states have their own version of that. Uh, so in my mind, what should happen is a policymaker says, we're going to do X. Uh, everyone goes crazy on Twitter. Twitter doesn't matter. The legislature or the judiciary should say, yes or no, you can do this per hour check over you. So you want them to be more proactive? Oh yeah, it's the Here's only the danger it's with the that. only check that they have. It is the only check that they have. Um, and in this country, and we're relatively unique in this. Which you know, at first it sounds kind of like what we're unique in this the concept, but we our judiciary seem well, doesn't seem it operates under the premise that there needs to be a wrong done. Um, so. The, I think they've been asked to be more proactive in the past, and I'm obviously not using legal language, so I'm using my words, not the court's words. Um, and they've responded with basically, nothing's happened yet. Come back to us when it's happened. And there are good reasons for that. It has its flaws, obviously, as you, you pointed out, a good chunk of them. Um, the good part of that is sometimes you just don't know how a law is going to play out. It says one thing on paper, but like that's either A, not how it was enforced or not how it was intended, or um, it ends up being 112 years old and then applied somehow to protect social media companies. And this clearly wasn't made for, you'd you never know how laws are going to play out. So that so they err on waiting for something to happen. And, you know, and this is where you, the term moot uh, becomes legally relevant. Uh, if nothing's happened, then the, then the case is moot. Now, I do have a Canadian friend who they they do that. Their court will try issues that haven't happened. And it's certainly more efficient. Um, I am always weary of an efficient government. We've seen efficient governments in the past. Um, I, I, I can tell you I can't name a single efficient government I would want to live under. Uh, because when you take them to their logical conclusions, efficiency gets brutal. And efficiency is always this type of concept that tends to play to somebody's interests, not everyone's interests. So it, it also means increased authority, you know. Yep. Uh, and by, and it, has to, is, it has to be by deafening. Yeah, a monarch is incredibly efficient. Right. Single decider. Now, maybe boom. the Canadians can get away with it because have you seen their Supreme Court robes? No. 
Okay, homework for everybody listening. Look up the Canadian Supreme Court, and maybe that's why no one's afraid of them. Um, they, they, they look like they, Santa Claus. They're going to be wearing it's, dresses. <laughs> they, they look like a bunch of Santa Clauses. It's great, and they're Canadian, and it's the most Canadian thing I've ever seen. Um, so thank you, Alex Williams, for showing me that. That was hilarious. So I don't know. I, 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 I would have to push back and say I don't want the Supreme Court of the U.S. to be uh, proactive because right now maybe I wouldn't mind it, right? It's a conservative court, but I don't want a liberal court trying issues that wouldn't come up because it would change the law, right? And I yeah. always, I, I'm always worried, especially when conservatives, you know, they're, they're so quick to want to bust the social media thing. And it's like, look, you're for this now because you think it's on your side, but what happens when the power, the tides of power change? And they did change this year. You want, do you really want to unleash that beast? And the answer is no, you don't. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Joe Mobley Show. Remember to subscribe and make sure you don't miss out on future content. You can always show your support by leaving a review or making a financial contribution by going to thejoemobleyshow.com and hitting support the show. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. If that was the first prayer you've ever prayed, I hope it won't be the last. Until next time, this is The Joe Mobley Show.